And we've just spent the last 24, 25 weeks on the book of Hebrews. And in fact, Paul will bring that to a conclusion, kind of tie the bow on it next Sunday. And we want to invite you to come and join us. I don't know if you've been with us through this series on Hebrews. We've kind of entitled it Considering Jesus. And so as we kind of looked at each chapter of the book of Hebrews, we've considered Jesus in that book. We've pulled out all sorts of pictures or glimpses of theology and of story that's been brought to us by the author of that book that have helped us to consider Jesus and his impact in our life and our life with him. It's called us to consider. And now we're going to be transitioning in the next several, uh, well, in two weeks from now, into the book of Luke. So newsflash, for those of you who like to keep track of where we've been and where we're going, book of Luke is next up. And I'm looking forward to it because, it, I mean, obviously the first few chapters of Luke bring us towards Christmas with some great glimpses and photos that Luke writes for us of the life of Jesus. Luke is a book of snapshots of Jesus' life. All of Jesus' life and ministry don't make it into the book of Luke. A revelation shares with us that more, all the stories, if they were to be written down, would fill every piece of paper and use every bit of ink on the planet, stories about Jesus. But Luke's just grabbed a few moments in time and recorded them for us. Snapshots, his photo album, as it were, of the book of Luke. And so we're going to pull out three of those pictures, significant moments in Jesus and his interaction with Simon Peter this morning and see if they can't teach us a little bit about our relationship, our friendship with Christ. Uh, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us this morning as we look at these stories in the Gospel of Luke. Lord, thanks that you're interested in our lives, that you haven't just started life rolling and then walked away, but you consider, continue to be interested in the life of your creation, us, your people, Lord. God, thank you that you've taken the opportunity to step into history through the person of Jesus Christ and revealed to us your heart. And in doing that, brought him through a life and then a resurrection uh, from death and, and, and the ability to give us new life. You've impacted our life, the life of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And that you've called us then to go and be shining lights, impacting others around us. God, you have us on a journey, and today we want to uh, further equip ourselves for that journey, that we might be effective in our relationship with you. As I open my mouth, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give me words that I might fearlessly make known, the mysteries of the gospel, and that I would encourage us, the body of Christ assembled here, and all those who are just exploring Christianity this morning, to know more of your heart, who you are, what you've done, and what your purposes are. And then we pray these things and ask these things in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, friendship. I looked it up earlier this week. I don't know about you, but I have at least 977 friends. Friends. Uh, as I went through my social network profile and looked at all my friends, I realized that most of them are acquaintances. I must confess that there were even a few deletions this week because I didn't have a clue who these people were. I, I pull up some and I have to go through that process. And I don't know if you happen to have Facebook or happen to be on a social network, but you pull up one of these pictures of a friend and you have to go through the mutual friends list and, and where they live and what they do until suddenly probably the light will go on. You'll go, oh yes, 
I remember that person. I know why they're on this. We'll let them stay. That may, they're really, really a friend. Uh, but most of them are acquaintances. And isn't that the way life works, though? We move from not knowing people to getting to know or be acquainted with people. And often then that moves to something much more deeper, much more richer. It moves to a friendship level. And then sometimes that even moves to a, a more intimate, tight relationship of just best friends or soulmates or, or just on we go. And that's how friendships progress. And there's no reason to think that's not how friendships were progressed in Jesus' day. Uh, it's true. That's how it happened. So we're going to start with chapter 4 of Luke. And so if you want to turn there in your Bibles, I'll let you find that as we kind of set the scene. Jesus has just moved. He's grown up living in the town of Nazareth. And now he's relocated to a town called Capernaum. It's on the edge of a lake in the area. And so fishing is a big deal there. Kind of the waterfront type of a situated town. And he's starting to get to know his new city. He's starting to get to know the new synagogue, the gathering place of Jewish people on Saturday to worship their Lord. He's starting to know the local merchants where he might purchase, uh, as, assuming he's still working out some of his construction um, and, and carpentry skills, the local merchants. He's getting to know the people who are down at the lakefront and the families as he walks through the marketplace and the streets and maybe has his services as a skilled carpenter being required. Different situations. He's starting to get his new home understood and learning who people are. And he's starting to learn who a guy named Peter is. Uh, let me, we're going to read from verse 38 uh, on to, uh, I guess, verse 40. But let me set it up for you. Uh, verse 31, uh, again, affirms that he's just moved to Capernaum and that the Sabbath is upon them and it's a Saturday. And so he teaches in the synagogue, the local Jewish church. And people, it says, they were amazed at his teaching. He had an authority behind him that he spoke with. And in the middle of this particular gathering, this church service, if you can believe what this might look like, somebody who's demon-possessed in the gathering of the congregation stands up and starts having this verbal back and forth with Jesus. Well, as the story goes on, Jesus quiets this demon and casts this demon out of the man. And as you would expect, the whole place is a buzz. If it was today, the phones would come out and the text messages and the tweets and the, the sharing would start to happen. The odd phone call in there probably too. I don't know what the grapevine looked like exactly in this day and age, but whatever it is, it turned on. And the vines started to get connected because people couldn't believe what they'd experienced. 37, verse 37 says, the news about him spread throughout that surrounding area. And this is where we jump in, right after church. Because what happens after church? We go and, some of you are not sure what happens. We eat. Some of you are holier than I and you fast and pray. But, but Jesus and his crew, they went to eat. And in this particular day, they went to the home of Simon, uh, whose name will come out as Peter a little bit later on. Uh, Simon is married. Peter's married. 
Uh, sometimes I think of the disciples as being all these single guys with nothing better to do than just kind of spontaneously drop what they're doing and follow Jesus because they've got nothing better to do. But that's not Peter's case. He's married. In uh, his home is not only his wife lives, and in fact, I think 1 Corinthians 9.5 talks about the fact that she actually goes along with him on his apostolic journeys later on. And mother-in-law lives in the house too. Tells you a little bit, maybe the house runs. I don't know. She's got a fever. She's ill. So when they get back from the synagogue, they, probably Peter and his wife, ask Jesus to help her. And so Jesus bends over her and rebukes the fever. And it leaves her. Luke is establishing with what went on in the synagogue that Christ has authority over the spiritual. And now this, this snapshot teaches us that Christ also has authority over the physical. He's God. And so in these first opening chapters, Luke is kind of framing up who Jesus is and what his authority level is. And so she gets up, mother-in-law does, and begins to wait on them. And she makes lunch. And I don't know what lunch looked like then. Maybe she had these Jerusalem waffles that she made or something. But she makes lunch. And then lunch is done, and the next verse doesn't happen until the sun is setting. So hours go by, and it's apparently not worth Luke recording this particular snapshot of what happens. It's just casual chit-chat. Maybe it's interaction about carpentry, or fishing, or building a boat where the two interests come together. But whatever it is, it's just a building of friendship. It's Simon Peter who's not a disciple, he's not a follower of Jesus at this point. He's just getting to know this guy named Jesus. And I'm sure they talked a little bit about what happened at synagogue and a little bit about mother-in-law and maybe a little bit about the Jerusalem waffles. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't worthy of capturing by Luke in this book. It was just building relationship. Uh, If you're following along and uh, taking notes today, uh, they're in the bulletin, and, and if you're filling those out, the first line you can simply fill out is friendship. And it says this. It says it all starts with friendship. Our sermon today is about next steps. We're always in motion. Life is, is moving. It's fluid. Uh, the photos in my photo book uh, happened at a, a moment in time. And things now aren't the same as what they were. And they're not the same as what they will be. Things change. And that's what photos do. And remembering those photos brings up all sorts of memories and emotions. Some of them hard to walk through again as we maybe look at pictures of loved ones who are not with us anymore. Or a a picture of a time that was real sweet and special to us. Others are joy-filled moments. But they were moments that have passed. And now we're moving on. And friendships start at a moment in time. And there's at least three things that they involve. Friendship can't happen without proximity. And so as we roll this now from the story of Peter to our lives and getting to know Christ, uh, they have to start with proximity to Christ. Uh, The church as it gathers is the body of Christ. And Christ is our head. And so the question comes, if you're wanting to get to know who Jesus is, 
exploring Christianity, as I mentioned earlier in my prayer. It starts with gathering together with the people of God, the body of Christ, being in proximity to His people. Now you've got to understand as you're with His people, we are not God. God is in us, but we are not God. We are works in progress. And so when you see our warts and our bruises and our sinful ugliness come out, don't pin that on who God is. Because He's not finished with us yet either. But do consider Jesus and the glimpses you see of Him through our lives as we follow Him. Growing a friendship takes proximity. Hebrews, where we've just spent a number of weeks together, the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, talks about not giving up gathering together with other believers in the church. And that's true. Because when we gather together as the body of Christ, Jesus comes through. And so if you're exploring Christianity, if you're starting to a friendship with Jesus, you need proximity with the people of God. Proximity. The next piece of getting to know someone is communication. I mean, you can't get to know someone if you never talk to them. If you never exchange information. Things you enjoy. Things you hate. Things you love to do with your spare time. Your dreams. Your sorrows. It's out of that that you find out what you have in common. It's where you get to know one another's heart. To be known and to be fully known. To know and to be fully known. This is, this is what communication involves. And so, as you're exploring your relationship with Jesus, what does your communication with Jesus look like? Remember, this is before Peter even embraced Christ as Lord. This is just getting to know Jesus. And obviously, for those of us who are followers of Christ, this is something we have to continue. But when you're exploring Christianity, and getting to know Jesus and considering Him, what's your communication with Him look like? Obviously, the Bible that we're opening up now is God's means primarily of communicating with us. But one of the cool things that Jesus did was He sent, after His ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one of the roles of the Spirit is to lead us into truth about who Jesus is. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to counsel us And he primarily does that through Scripture. And so, as we speak to Christ in prayer, as we listen to the Holy Spirit leading us into the Word of God and considering Christ through the Scriptures, that's our communication with the Lord. The third thing we need for relationship, proximity, communication, is those shared experiences. How do we have shared experiences with Jesus? It's not like physically He is here right now. True. And yet he's given that gift of his Holy Spirit. And so there's this ability for us to say, Jesus, would you through your Spirit help me to wrap my head around who you are and what you want to do in my life? We're inviting him to have an, move us forward in experience. Uh, I get up in the day and say, you know what, God? I'm going to look for opportunities where I see you shining through in people today. Uh, and so we invite these shared experiences from Jesus. Would you help me understand, Jesus, who you are? Friendship. And Luke takes a moment to share this snapshot in time of Peter beginning a friendship with Jesus. 
love that. For some of you, your next step in your faith walk in exploring Christianity is simply this, to begin to move from not knowing anything to acquaintance stage and acquaintance stage towards a friendship stage. But then the next photo comes in the next chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 5. I remember uh, doing a bit of a road tour with some friends and I was flying into on my own at this particular juncture in the tour into Calgary. And uh, I needed to get from Calgary to Lethbridge. And so I called someone, uh, a friend who I knew who lived in Calgary and we had kept up and she was at Bible college with me in Abbotsford and so I phoned her up and I said, hey, would you pick me up at the airport, consider picking me up at the airport and riding me back down to Lethbridge? She said, absolutely, my husband and I will come and pick you up. So I remember arriving in Calgary, taking my bags and throwing them in the back of their truck and hopping in the truck and her husband put her in gear and we headed out on the road, just shy of a two-hour trip down to Lethbridge. And my friend and I obviously had shared experiences and and had had proximity at college and, and had communication. So we knew each other well, but I had never met her husband before. And so I began to move from complete stranger to acquaintance role and then moving that bar up a little bit and getting to know him. And it started with just talking, finding out who he was and where he grew up. And you know the questions that you ask when you're starting to just get to know someone. I mean, the first half hour was just sharing of information. And then around the 30-minute mark, I figured out through what he said and some directed questions to him that although his wife was a follower of Jesus, that he wasn't. And that he was kind of at that stage where he was kind of unsure and exploring Christianity and, and, and not sure what his faith meant. He knew what it was about in his wife's life, but he wasn't sure who Jesus was to him. And so we just started talking. And I really started calling, just asking questions and asking him to explain to me who he understood Jesus to be. Tell me about your friendship interaction with Jesus. And over the next hour and a half, he did that. And, and I began to ponder in the last few minutes of our trip, you know, why aren't you a follower of Christ? You know who he is. You've looked at stories of him. You've heard testimony about what he does uh, through your wife and her community of faith. Why aren't you a follower of Jesus? What's, guy, what's your problem? <laughs> and he said, well, I've got these outstanding questions. And so he posed a couple of them. And I said, those are, that's seriously the road bump you've got to faith? Like, that's kind of a secondary issue, don't you think? Well, maybe it is. And so I'll repeat my question. Why haven't you embraced Jesus as your God and your rescuer from sin yet? Why haven't you become a follower of Christ? At the end of the car, I don't know. Well, let's do it right now. Let me lead you in a prayer. Okay. Keep your eyes open. You're driving. All right. So I just kind of repeat after me thing. And he just, he took the next step in his faith from friendship to follower. In that conversation, he sensed an invitation from the Lord to move into something more. It's the same kind of scenario that Luke snaps a photo of and writes about in chapter 5. Verse 1, one day Jesus is standing by the lake 
I'm going to butcher it, so I'm just going to skip it. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And, and basically what's happening is people are gathered around to hear him teaching, much like he had in the synagogue, but now at the lakefront. And people are starting to crowd around him, and he's starting to have to get his voice louder and louder so the ones at the back can hear. Now Simon and a couple of his friends have been fishing all night, and their boats are now pulled up at the water's edge, and they're mending their nets. So Jesus says to Simon Peter, who he knows, hey, could I hop in your boat, Simon, and we'll just push out a little bit from shore? It'll create a little bit of a natural amphitheater over the water to kind of increase the volume of my voice so everyone will be able to hear. Brilliant idea. Sure, Jesus, let's do that. They're friends. So Jesus hops in the boat. They push out a little bit. And Jesus continues to teach. And now people can hear. And the teaching winds down. And in verse 4 it says, When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Let's put out into some deep water. And let down the nets for a catch. I mean, they were talking about it perhaps the other day. And now Jesus wants to experience it. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. Haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, because you're asking, I will let down the nets. And so he, whether it's, it's respect for Jesus as a teacher and a rabbi, or whether it's because he's doing a favor for a friend. He says, yeah, let's do it. So they let down those nets. Verse 6, I love this. Just kind of picture this in the theater of your mind. They let down the nets, and they catch such a large number of fish that their nets begin to break. And you can hear them straining these nets, stretching with the fish. So they signal their partners on the other boat to come out and help them. And they come out and they fill both boats so full they began to sink. Both boats filled up to the, is it the gunnels? The edges of the boat, is that what they're called? Help me. Okay, thank you. I'm not a boat guy. So uh, gunnels, right up to the gunnels, filled with fish and low now in the water. The odd wave is maybe slapping over the edge. And Simon Peter, he sees all that's going on, and he falls at Jesus' knees. Which, if you're picturing this with me, is the money shot, because now he's up to his chest in fish. <laughs> and says to Jesus, Jesus, go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. Something changes his understanding there of who Christ is. It moves from Jesus to Lord, and all of a sudden he understands who he is in his sinfulness and his need for a Savior. For he and his companions were so astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken, and so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, the guys in the other boat. Then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And in one of the other Gospels, it records the line, uh, he says, come and follow me. So they pull up their boats to the shore. They leave everything and they follow him. Peter comes face to face with the power and the reality of who Jesus really was. 
And an invitation is given from Christ to take the next step. To leave safety and familiarity behind and come and follow Him. Have you taken, have you received and embraced that invitation in your own life? For some of us, as we move into the new school year, uh, the church is interesting. We have a calendar year from January to December, but we kind of functionally work out September to June as kind of also kind of a secondary calendar. And the beauty of that is it allows lots of new beginnings for us, fresh chances. Maybe as we move into the fall, your next step is to embrace Christ and say yes to Him. It's a step into obedience. For some of us who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, maybe it's a chance to re-examine our level of obedience in following Him. I get together on Tuesday nights with a number of uh, young adults, kind of 18 to 25-ish kind of crew. And in fact, if, if you're in that age bracket here tonight and I haven't met you before, Tuesday night, show up here at 5.30. We're going up to Comox and grab a concert up there. It'll be great to get to know you and build a little bit of acquaintance to friendship kind of progression start going on. And we're talking right now of the book of Acts. And we're seeing all these glimpses of people uh, coming to faith in Christ, repenting of their sin, and then getting baptized right away. So they repented and they were baptized. Because baptism is a symbol of what's happened in our heart. It's a step of obedience. It was immediate. For some of us who have been followers of Jesus for a little while, we've never taken that step of obedience practically and been baptized, for example. Maybe that's a next step for you. As people who follow Christ, we practice these things called spiritual disciplines. And maybe your next step this fall is to become uh, more practiced in spiritual disciplines of, of Scripture reading. Starting a regular rhythm of reading the Word of God and communicating with the Lord. Maybe a spiritual discipline that you need to take a step in this fall is beginning to practice prayer in a more significant way. Listening and speaking to Christ. Uh, maybe it's Maybe it's uh, fasting, regular rhythms of setting aside the physical for the sake of the spiritual. Maybe it's giving. Uh, and you come and, and uh, you, you, have, uh, you come and, and are part of the body of Christ, but you come with a consumer perspective as opposed to a contributor. And, and isn't it cool that Barbara gets to come up here and tell stories of God on the move that are made possible by just the faithful giving to our budget on a regular basis. And Bibles have been given out because of that. And, and we're starting up into youth ministry. There's such exciting stuff that is a result of us just faithfully giving and being people who are generous. Maybe that's a next step in a spiritual discipline for you this fall as we move into it. There's so many next steps that we could take around this whole idea of obedience and following Christ. And if one of the things I've just mentioned rubs you the wrong way or you're a little bit annoyed that I mentioned it, that's probably the Holy Spirit beginning to say that's for you. And then there's another picture, another photo, another glimpse we get in chapter 6. And it's verse 12. And it reads this way. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called the disciples to him and chose 12 of them. That tells us something right there, doesn't it? That there's more than just the 12 disciples who are around. There's starting to be a number of people who are stepping across the line and saying, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I've realized you're just not a man, but you are God. And I'm going to 
give my life to following you. They had that next step. And from amongst them then, Christ chooses 12, whom he also designates as apostles. An apostle is a word that uh, isn't used in a lot of literature from the time that the book of Luke was written. In fact, there's only two or three other instances, uh, as I looked into it, that the apostle word is found. And the apostle really is, means uh, things like a messenger, often on behalf of a government official, or someone who's a representative of things. Uh, an ambassador is one who, or, sorry, an apostle is one who's like an ambassador. And of course, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians, that you and I are called as followers of Jesus to be ambassadors for Christ, representing him to the world around us. And so it's a call to be an apostle, a messenger, set aside. Initially, Christ pulls 12 of them with a special apostolic duty of representing him as his, his messengers to establish his church. And then gives a larger great commission to all those who would follow him and all his disciples just before his ascension. So he calls us to a greater level of going. And it says this, it says, he chose 12 of them to be apostles. Simon, we've just talked about him, whose name is Peter. His brother Andrew. James and John, the guys in the other boat. He calls Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas. James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, another Simon, who was the zealot, called the zealot. And then two names that are important to know. I don't know heaven's, how heaven's going to work. I, I don't know if we're going to have the same names we had on earth or whether we'll even be worried about what people did and who they were and how this will work interaction-wise in heaven. But it's important that you catch these next two names. Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who becomes the traitor. The last thing you want to do in heaven is walk up and meet someone who identifies themselves as one of the 12 apostles. And you're like, wow, which one were you? Judas. And you assume that, why are you here? I thought you'd be down a little lower. Uh, There were two of them. And this is Judas, son of James, you're probably going to meet. Anyway, two Judases, ten others, and these are the apostles. They're ones that Jesus calls out and says, I want you to go. Matthew 18, uh, pardon me, Matthew 28, where that great commission is given to each of us to, by Christ to say, as you are going, or, or uh, go and make, pardon me, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and teaching them to follow me. Uh, he says, another way that can be translated is, as you are going. And so it's a continual, daily, as I'm walking out life, my, have the mind of Christ and be asking, Lord, Lord, what would you have me do today? I'm available. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear the opportunities to represent you as your ambassador to the world. He heard Jesus calls out some of the disciples and then, commissions the rest of us to take another step in our faith, to shining, to being salt and light to the world, as the Beatitudes talk about just after what was read read this morning, To, to represent Christ to those around us in our homes, in our workplaces, in our places of recreation, in our community as a whole, to have our eyes and ears open 
to those divine appointments that God might set up for us to join him in. After the resurrection of Christ, Peter became a bold evangelist and missionary and one of the greatest leaders of the early church. Passionate until the end, historians record that when Peter was sentenced to death by crucifixion, that he requested his head to be turned downward to the ground because he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as Christ, his Savior. This is a call for us to discover why the life of Peter conveys such a hope for us today. It's because he walked as one who was not only a friend of Christ, but who one who took the next step to become a follower, who then took the next step to become one who was sent to go, a force for establishing the kingdom of God in his midst. What's your next step? Where do you need to move from where you are now? What will be your next photoed moment? That snapshot where everything changed. Uh, Luke shared three of them out of the life of Peter as he interacted with Jesus. My wife took a whole bunch of snapshots of our family and put them in a photo album. What's the next snapshot for you? Because the danger is that once we embrace Christ as our Savior, we never take the next step. Man, my hope is that if the Lord is into taking photos, that this next week he takes one of you at a significant moment where that next step is taken.